Welcome to The Money Hour with host Tina Mitchell and co-host Keelan Harvey. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, and Keelan Harvey, MLO 133075, are licensed loan originators with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, and MLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome to the Money Yard, 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 31st show. I am your host, Tina Mitchell. And I am your co-host, Keelan Harvey. And Keelan Harvey is back. I've been flying solo for (laughs) a couple weeks as you were recovering from your your surgery. Not fun, but I'm happy to be back. I missed you guys, missed the show, so I'm just happy to have life resume. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about what Keelan's been going through after we get through the introduction here, bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it will affect your money. We are your local mortgage experts. And we're here, uh, if you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to connect you with the guests that we have on the show. And you can call in at one 855 400 1150. Again, that's one 855 1150 or online at com. And line up for today's show, we have Stephanie Kristen of Windermere Real Estate, Top Strategies for Pricing Your Home. Also in studio, we have Nicole Luxrichi of Luxcentric, Detangling Your Digital Office. And our last guest in studio, Debbie Mycroft of Memories Worth Telling, How Do You Want to Be Remembered? Great information and great guest in studio today. For more information on the topics discussed or to get connected with our guest, please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyr.com. Let's go ahead and start out today with a little money chat. Money. Money. Over a decade running the show, and I, I flew wow. solo my, myself. I had another co-host that I can't compare with you quite a few oh, years ago. I but was waiting for that. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and then I, uh, I was flying solo for, uh, for quite a few years, and Keelan came in and, and joined, and just very happy to have him here. In the last couple of weeks, it's been a little sad being here all by myself mm. with my, our guest. <laughs> and so welcome back, Keelan. Why don't you share with our listeners what was happening with you? Thank you. Well, um, as... I don't know. We have these amazing listeners might have heard before. I uh, play soccer, and as I get older, injuries happen. So He's so young. Yeah, um, but you just don't recover the same as in your 20s, and I'm far mm-hmm. removed from 20s. So, um, yeah, I, I tore an ACL and had surgery on the 15th, mm-hmm. and which entailed a patella tendon graft. So they had to go in and— Say that five times. Patella tendon graft, patella tendon graft. <laughs> I got two out. That's about yeah, as best I awesome. could do. Um, so yes, yeah, so not a fun thing. They, uh, they take a piece of the, your patella tendon off your knee with some bone on it. I didn't watch uh-huh. the video until after and I'm glad because yeah. if I would have known how extensive it was, I would have probably uh-huh. been a little bit more freaked out, uh-huh. but secure it with screws and then they send you home and then had a little scare. I had a, uh, a blood clot they found uh-huh. a couple of days later, had some calf pain. So if you have calf pain after a major surgery, everybody not go good. to the doctors, not good. Yeah. And, um, 
it's kind of it's kind of worrisome because they sent they don't really tell you that you're good at the yeah. doctors. You just kind of go in and they're like, "So am I good?" They're like, "Well, you could die from it, but you're probably going to be good because <laughs> you're young and it's below your leg." And I'm like, "Okay, so I'm young below my legs." So like percentages? No, no, you could probably die, but you're fine. And so it's like, I guess they just send you home and wait to die. Yeah. Um, but I should be good, so I'm told. So blood thinners, which um, Tina was making fun of me because I'm like I'm having hot flashes. I was calling. No, I'm I was so calling happy. It, I was calling it menopause in yeah, here because like thin blood, like. Mm-hmm. You get kind of, I don't know, kind of loopy, like uh-huh. little hot and, you know, and a uh, little hypoglycemic, uh-huh. which is not fun. But um, three months of those possibly. So. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Well, let's hope things don't happen in threes because Keelan got stabbed in the eye <laughs> with a fork and then he had surgery. Well, it did happen in threes. You're done because then you yeah, have the blood clot. You're yeah. good. Stabbed in the yeah, eye, ACL good. replacement, blood clot. That's we're all three. good. Okay, yeah, we're thank good. goodness. We're all right. We're so fine. we're we're back to our, our normal uh, yeah. normal show here with uh uh, Keelan, co-host. Yeah, yeah, we're good. So I'm going to bring in a little money chat here as well. We're going to talk about second home purchase because interest rates unbelievably low and real estate is just an amazing investment. And I thought talking about a second home might be a little uh, different thing to, to look at outside of your primary investment property. Second home is a luxury that many people dream about. Owning a second home can also provide practical benefits for baby boomers who are considering downsizing, relocating, or split living arrangements in retirement purchasing a second home before you retire can make a lot of sense. So I want to break down a few things here to uh, think about. Build equity and alternative investment. Real estate has and I feel will always be a safe investment. The market goes up and down, but historically, real real estate will always recover. So as long as you're not forced to sell in a bad market, you're not going to lose money in in real estate. You might lose some of the equity that was sitting there, but until you're ready to cash out, um, that's really where that where that f- those funds are. So as long as you hold on, reduce work life stress. If you choose a second home that is easy drive from your primary residence, you now own an instant stress booster. You can spend weekends there on the whim and provide immediate vacation experience. Just knowing that you have that option can even be a stress release at work. And we have so many amazing places here in Washington and Eastern Washington and Sunkedia and just great places to buy your second home. Um, and during the winter for snow, during the summer for more sun, great golf and wine country. So great getaway for your crazy Seattle possible city life uh, can be just a, a small jump away for your second home. Uh, great holidays. Instead of paying for a family vacation, you can instead invest in an asset class that you can actually enjoy with your family and making money in that process. Uh, What about provide a true family legacy? Uh, We're going to talk about legacy here with one of our guests today, but part of a retirement planning, you may be thinking of leaving something behind to your children. Inherit money is nice, but soon spent and forgotten. A second home in a special location can be part of the shared family bonding experience, including all your grandchildren. These families' bonds can transfer that second home from the family legacy and just all of those memories that are getting built in that second home. Protecting family bonds when retiring. A tricky part of retirement is downsizing and navigating the loss of emotional attachment to a longtime family home. And if you have purchased a second home as part of a plan to live there when you retire, you can still have a piece of the family memory. So this can make it uh, even an easier process for your downsizing and relocation, less a uh, little traumatic maybe for everyone. 
rent out as an Airbnb. Oh my gosh, there are so much opportunities. Um, you know our friend uh, Britt. Yeah. A yeah. shout out to Britt. She has a beautiful home in Bellevue, and it's actually her primary residence. But when she left for vacation and decided just to take a month off because she can do that, she's really successful, has a great team to support her. She made eleven thousand dollars on her own home one month Airbnb. That's crazy. So think about your second home and being able to utilize that in as an Airbnb when you're not actually enjoying that time with your family. Tax benefit, obviously you need to talk with a tax accountant uh, because we definitely are not. We're your local mortgage experts, but on top of a primary residence, there's opportunities to write off interest on a second home and just depending on what that's being used for um, and how that's going to be looked at. So again, talk with your tax advisor, reach out to the studio, to the show. We can get you connected there. Uh, Financings for second home, you may not realize this. The interest rates are exactly the same as a primary residence, so you're not going to pay premium rates like you would on an investment property. You can get in with a 10% down payment. You can do no monthly mortgage insurance by doing a single premium buyout. Um, you you do need higher income to qualify because as a second home, you're going to have to qualify for your primary and your second. It's an investment property. You've got that income that you can utilize for. And per 10000 Per 10000 in loan amount, give or take, or in purchase price, give or take, is about $50 a month. That's all in. Principal, interest, taxes, and insurance. So uh, $300,000 home, you'd be looking at about sixteen fifty a month. So I think it's a great information on Money Chat to think Love about it. second home purchasing. And coming up next on The Money, our top strategies for pricing your home. We have Stephanie Kristen of Windermere Real Estate right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. As the process of buying and selling real estate becomes increasingly complex, it's important to have a trusted advisor you can rely on. With over 30 years of experience, Stephanie Kristen of Windermere Real Estate consistently uses systems that deliver results. By collaborating with her team of professionals, Stephanie makes the daunting task of buying or selling a home more manageable and worry-free. Her passion for service combined with market knowledge has resulted in hundreds of delighted clients. Hi, this is Stephanie Kristen with Windermere Real Estate. There's a lot of information online today, but how you interpret that information is critical. I help buyers and sellers every day make sense of all that data. I'd love to connect with you and help you reach your goals. Check out my website, sheknowsrealestate.com, or give me a call at 206-200-0222. Thanks so much, and I look forward to talking to you soon. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host, Keelan Harvey, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 31st show. I am your host, Tina Mitchell. And I am your co-host, Keelan Harvey. You're a local mortgage expert. It's a great day to talk about money, and that's what the show is all about, how to make money, how to save money so you can have a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we can connect you with the guests that we have on the show. Please call the show at one 855 411 Again, that's one 855 400 1150 or online at the in studio right now back by popular demand <laughs> we have stephanie Kristen of windermere real estate's top strategies for pricing your home stephanie thank you so much for coming back in well, and spending time with us yes thanks so much for having me back of course and a little bit about stephanie uh stephanie Kristen is managing broker for Kristen team at windermere real estate and has been successfully selling homes for over three decades <laughs> working with her team of professionals she utilizes 
her years of experience to streamline the process of buying and selling to produce successful results and raving fans. She is consistently honored by Seattle Magazine as five-star best in client satisfaction real estate agent. Her passion for service goes beyond helping her clients as she is a firm believer in giving back to her community and supports organizations that are dedicated to low-income housing solutions like Windermere Foundation and Plymouth Housing. Yeah. Stephanie, let's get right in it. Um, let's talk about home values right now. Kind of a popular subject even in our field because mm-hmm. a lot of people are refinancing. They're like, what the heck's my home worth, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is a very, uh, very popular subject at this moment. How can homeowners know what their home is actually worth? Because we all know, I won't name names, you can't just go online and get an exact number. It just doesn't work. There's just not the algorithms to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is an important uh, differentiation. I think um, home value means different things to different people. You have your your house assessed value that you can, you know, find from King County tax assessor. Yeah. You have the value that, um, you know, you paid for it and perhaps that you have put into the home, um, you know, the emotional value. And then you have those, you know, Zillow values or the mm-hmm. online values. And what we really look at as real estate agents is, um, you know, what the current market trends are. Um, and that's going to be determined by a buyer, what a buyer you know, ready, willing, and able buyers willing to pay for a home in this market. So yeah, and it's not the online company's fault. There's just right. You you need a human brain to calculate the market and your three decades of experience exactly. to be able to put all the pieces together to get a true value of what it would sell for at that possible at that moment. Possibly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then and, the online doesn't have there. They're not walking into the home. They can't right. see what's happening with upgrades and all yep. the different things or the lack of. That's right. Uh, correct, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the websites are really just a great starting point. Um, we have a feature on um, on my website now called What's My Home Worth? Uh-huh. And you can cool. go in there. Yeah, it's actually there's a lot of great information. It even will show you, um, you know, how many value or how many buyers are looking in your neighborhood. What what are they looking for in price range and bedroom? Um, and so when you put your address in, if you're looking to see what your home is worth, um, it'll show you um, three different estimates. So it'll give you the Zillow estimate and um, I think e-appraisal. e-appraisal. There's another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, but it really is just based on an algorithm, like you said. You mm-hmm. know, you have so many bedrooms, baths, uh, square footage. It doesn't know the condition, the the quality of your view. Um, and so even if you look at the Zillow website, they even say, this is just a starting point. We recommend talking to an agent to get the accurate information on your home. Yeah, and also they don't know what's happening in that market in that neighborhood because the more the availability, the more homes that are available, the less you're going to be able to get for your home, whereas if there's you know, less availability, there's more demand. True. So they don't have the dynamics of what's actually happening in that market as well, correct? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how exactly do you determine a home's value as opposed to kind of these online resources. Yeah. So I I think a lot of it does take the human element. I mean, we are looking at the very, um, you know, starting point of the, the, you know, features of the home, Um, looking at the list price and the sales price days on market, but that's just the baseline. I think really when we go in and we look um, at what's happening to in the market is we're talking to the agents, you know, the ones that currently have active listings, we're talking to um, the pending sales and sold. So solds are going to be the ones that are actually the reality of the market. Those are the ones that are telling us um, mm. what has sold, what was a buyer willing to pay for the property. Pending is, those are the properties that um, 
have a contract on them, but they haven't closed. And those, you know, are the most current information. But again, you've got to talk to that agent and see, you know, did they get multiple offers? Um, What kind of um, interest and and feedback were they getting from the current buyer market? Mm. And then actives, you know, that's what is um, currently on the market. Those haven't sold. And so if you're trying to price your home off what's currently on the market, you you certainly may miss the mark. And so we really work to set up a pricing strategy so that, you know, we want to be positioned to be the best value in the one that sells next, you know, comparing to those other active listings. So. Yeah. And talking about actives, I mean, you have to be careful with that as well, because a lot of times people don't understand the appraisers can't use active as right. comping the property. So right. you have to consider how's appraiser going to determine that value. And it's right. not based on active. It's based on sales and yeah. ones that have actually closed. So let's talk, Stephanie, about the specific features that you were looking at when helping your sellers price their home. Yeah. So you even mentioned the appraiser. When I um, have a property sell, I'll meet with an appraiser because location is more than just the city or the neighborhood. They're generally looking in a one-mile radius, but what they may not understand and what might not show up in the actual um, listing data is, you know, a house that's across the street or, um, you know, they might be in a different school district. Mm -hmm. Um, Different properties can be on an arterial, you know, a busy street. Um, Some have steep driveways, some are level, and all of that goes into, you know, the value of a property and and what buyers are looking for. Um, The other thing is, you know, then we're looking at the house itself. So there's a location and the house. Um, In the house, we're looking at the basics like, you know, the the bedroom. But it's not only the bedroom count and the floor plan, or I'm sorry, the bedroom count and the square footage. It is the floor plan. Buyers are looking for specific layouts, you know, a home that's a three-bedroom but is three levels with one bedroom on every floor is going to have a different um, yeah. value than yeah. when you have three bedrooms on one level. And a split level is not going to be a popular right. home for a good value. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, different um, different floor plans, all of that really, you know, it, it has an impact on the value. And, and knowing what buyers are looking for in the current market and where you can position yourself accordingly is important. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, let's talk a little bit about... Um, the market right now, are we still seeing multiple offers in yeah. the market at this point? Actually, it's crazy. We are. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I've been in the business long enough to see, you know, um, slow times where we've had, you know, an excess of, of, you know, more than six months worth of inventory on the market. Um, it feels like like it's a slower market and things have slowed down, um, but really it is a seller's market. Um, but the thing is, buyers are being picky. So yeah. um, I've been involved in multiple offers um, just recently with both buyers and sellers, um, and I think it really starts with you know pricing. And um, buyers, I think, are more willing to wait for that right property to come on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it does, you know, one that doesn't have the steep driveway or one that is, you know, has the floor plan they're looking for in the condition, that's when you're seeing the multiple offers because everybody's been waiting for that, you know, right one at the right price, yes. you know, to come on the market. Yeah. So, Well, let's talk a little bit about longevity in the industry. I know you're uh, over your three decades. I'm almost a quarter of a century, and I'm, I'm proud to, to rock that and say that. And, you know, with that comes a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience. And when it comes to pricing a home, this is where a majority of the agents are really missing the beat in a big way, and it's costing sellers a lot of money. So a common question that you hear is, should you list the price for higher to get 
you know, um, negotiating or should you list it low to get those multiple offers? How do you strategize and educate your clients on how to price the home to maximize profit? Yeah, that's really good question because I do think a lot of people think they need to leave um, room for those low ball offers or, you know, room to negotiate. And really the data shows us that that isn't the best way to yes. do that. Um, today's home buyers are very well educated. They know the current market. They've got all the data online as well. Mm-hmm. Um, last month, we saw 47% of homes that were sold, they were at or above list price. So that's almost half of them that are selling at or above price um, or their list price. And those were selling um, for an average of 3% over the list price. Then there was a third of the homes uh, that were on the market, and they repri- required a price reduction, which generally is like three to five percent yeah. price reduction. So you're seeing like you know almost an eight percent swing in you know wow. pricing it right, getting it yeah. sold, to you know having to you know have those buyers on the market that are saying. Um, what's the matter with this one? Why hasn't it yeah. sold? And I mean, generally, it's, it's just not price. because it's a bad house; it's because it right. was a bad price, exactly, and not the right representation. Exactly. And those, mm-hmm. I think, are the opportunities for buyers for of sure. Of course, yeah, yeah. Stephanie, how do you feel about the funky pricing, like yeah. five ninety nine, nine fifty, yeah. or like six ninety eight, mm, yeah, or yeah. like five nine nine, nine 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 nine? You know what I mean? Just exactly. Like, it just sounds better, right? The old right. sales adage. How do you feel about those? Well, what I tell my clients is, we're not Walmart. I mean, we're we're selling <laughs> homes here, yeah. but but even more importantly than that, I think, is the way search engines are set mm-hmm. up online and the way buyers are able to look, you know, they, they're they generally fifty or $100,000 increments. Mm-hmm. So they can search, you know, if you're looking for a house in the 500s, you're generally looking four hundred to 600000 um, Well, if you've got a price that, um, you know, is at $610,000, you are not going to see it. $599,000. Um, when we price a house at six hundred, we're looking. We're going to get two different buyer pools. We're going to get those people that are looking four to six hundred, but we're also getting the people that are searching, you know, six hundred to eight hundred thousand. So it really, it, we call it bridge pricing, and it yeah. helps us to, you know, capture both buyer pools. So it's just a little strategy to. Yeah, it sounds um, like there's no advantage just how the algorithms work right. in pricing. There's just no advantage to do that. And I'm right. actually shocked that psychology still works. It's like yeah. the oldest book in the trip. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, let's put the candy bar for 99 cents. And we'll buyers, sell way more. Yeah, right. You know? And buyers are stupid. They know these yeah, things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They'll say it's 600. <laughs> yeah. Of course. It's a dollar, dude. Let's be. <laughs> So, Stephanie, uh, price, you know, it's a common thing to ask, when's the best time to sell? And obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I mean, in every market, you're short something. You're either short sellers, you're short buyers, or you're short money. We're definitely not short money. Look at the interest rates. Right. Um, plenty of financing. You know, we're not back after the financial meltdown where nobody's lending anymore. Um, and we're not short buyers. We're still short on the seller side. So in this environment, when is the best time to sell? Yeah, I always told my clients, you really, it's, uh, you can't try to time the market. I mean, just yeah. like the stock market. I mean, you have to do um, what works best for you. I mean, this is an investment that you live in. So it yes. is, it's a big part of your life. Um, you know, historically, we have seen, you know, the market kind of start off slow, ramp up, you know, February, March, and have a good, strong um, uh, spring market until about April, May, June. Things have slowed down historically over the summer and ramp up again in the fall. Um, this year was different. I mean, we had all that snow in the beginning of the year, so really mm-hmm. our market got a slower start, and we had a strong summer season this year. So yes. um, so I think, you know, it's just um, every year is a bit different. I think you have to work with a professional to know what, you know, what works best for you yeah. and um, and strategize accordingly. Um, yeah, great advice. Yeah. yeah. 
Stephanie, you are fantastic at what you do. Yes, and she is. She is. And you've given a lot of good tidbits here. I'm really curious. What are your top strategies for getting the most for your home? What can you share with our listeners? Sure. So I do think the, the you know, the, it's a, uh, we were talking tripods earlier. It's a three-legged <laughs> strategy. <laughs> uh, prepare. No, that's okay. That's okay. I am a tripod. There's no way around it. Uh, preparing, pricing, and promoting. So mm-hmm. preparing is going to be just getting your place ready. You know, decluttering is the highest return on investment. It's free, and you got to pack it all up anyways. Pricing, working with your agent to, you know, properly position yourself in the market, and then doing the best to promote it with, you know, beautiful, professional, high-quality photos, you know, and getting it in front of as many buyer eyeballs as possible. So, yeah. Yeah. Great tip. Stephanie, thank you so much again for coming in and and joining us and sharing your expertise with our listeners. I appreciate it so much. Thank you guys both. You're welcome. (laughs) Coming up next on the Money Hour, detangling your digital office. Nicole Luxritchie of Luxcentric, right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. When you turn on your computer, does the digital clutter suck your soul? Is your email inbox overflowing to the point where you don't even want to look in there? Have you ever been pulled into the digital black hole while doing something that should just take a second? These are all signs that your digital office needs to be rescued. Don't let your technology bully you. Often these frustrations can be eliminated by making sure your digital office is set up in a way that supports the way you want to work. You can spend hours Googling and watching YouTube videos and eventually figure it out for yourself, but do you really want to? Nicole Lux Ritchie with Luxcentric has already fought these tech battles. Luxcentric hosts regular digital office rescue workshops where you will learn practical techniques on how to organize and maintain your digital office. And during the workshop sessions, you will actually have dedicated time to do the work of organizing your digital office. Nicole has the unique ability to translate complicated techno babble into step-by-step regular human and is passionate about just getting it done. Hi, I'm Nicole Lux Ritchie with Luxcentric, and I would love to see you join me at a workshop or in the Techie Rescue Facebook group. You can find me and all that Luxcentric has to offer on my website at luxcentric.com. That's L-U-X-C-E-N-T-R-I-C. And don't let your technology bully you. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host, Keelan Harvey, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 31st show. I am your host, Tina Mitchell. And I am your co-host, Keelan Harvey. Your local mortgage experts. We are here to help you build a strong financial blueprint one week and one show at a time. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that we have on the show. Please call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's one 411150 or online at themoneyr.com studio right now. For the first time, we have Nicole Lux Ritchie of Luxcentric, and we're talking about detangling your digital office. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tina and Keelan, for having me. Of course. And a little bit about Nicole. Nicole comes to you as a multi-generational 
deeply rooted native of Western Washington who needs to be watered often. She (laughs) began her career in technology space as a supportive representative during the pioneer days of online banking. She has owned and operated several small businesses ranking from MLM to brick and mortar to service base. As technology guide, productivity consultant, and speaker, Nicole has enjoyed over two decades of working with small businesses, solo entrepreneurs, and tech-shy individuals to start where they are, use what they have, and do what they can build, sustain business and technology best practices. She lives in Issaquah, Washington with her husband, four young adults, three cats, and a ferret. Oh my gosh, I love (laughs) ferrets. They're so gosh darn cute. Yeah, they just like cool. slide all around you. <laughs> we, we call him a cat snake. Love cat yeah, snake. that makes it because yeah, they do. They kind of do. They, they do, yeah. wrap around your arm and yeah. How cool. I love the term digital office. That's fantastic. Yeah. And that is a subject near and dear to our hearts. Not so much until I met Tina and she made me aware of my digital office, which uh, I'm excited to talk with you about this. What is, for our listeners, a digital office? Ah, thank you. Um, A digital office is the foundation of everything that you have on your computer. So primarily we're talking email, files, calendars, and contacts. Um, Those are the things that make up your digital office. So think G Suite, that whole system Mm -hmm. is your digital Mm -hmm. office, or Office 365. Those are the two big ones. Um, Even the Mac universe with the iCloud and and what they have um, is your your digital is your digital <laughs> office. I do a lot with alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> now, Nicole, when we talk about tangled digital office, I that could be probably pretty gosh darn traumatic in business and the efficiency of business. So, what are the warning signs that you're in a tangled digital office? So often, um, a, a tangled digital office. You're going to find time, find that the professional is spending more time looking for that email mm-hmm. or looking for that file than actually dealing with the email or file, yeah. with actually dealing with the information. You're also going to find a lot of duplicates. So, you know, which which file was I working on? Is this version mm-hmm. one, two, three, or eight? <laughs> yeah. Um, also, with contacts, if you've got, you know, seven or eight Tina's in your list, mm-hmm. you want to get the right one. Um, these are all signs that your digital office could use some detangling. Yeah, and so and I always say is if, if once you're touching something more than once, it's an indicator that it is not managed at the highest efficiency level. To So take a step back and figure out how to get that organized because yeah. it's going to make your life so much easier. So, Nicole, where should you start when you are ready to detangle mm-hmm. your digital office? <laughs> Um, yeah, things definitely work better when it is detangled, yes. like you said. Um, most of my people will start with email. So you'll have, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 emails mm-hmm. in your inbox, and you're discovering that you're, you're losing things, you're missing things. That's the most common place that people start or want to start. Um, it really does depend on what is tangling. Sometimes it's files. Sometimes you're not able to find the things that you need to find. Um, but again, the majority of my clients will start with email because mm-hmm. that's where the information comes in. It's kind of the source 
I, a lot of lot of people will look to their inbox to find out, okay, what is it that I'm supposed to do today? Yes. What is it I'm supposed to do next week? Uh-huh. And so then, then they need to organize and arrange that information in a way that they can actually deal with. And, yeah. and you want your, your systems, your digital office to be set up in a way that you you can deal with it mm-hmm. and not fight with your technology. Yeah, and as a team, we actually have a contest I- ex- <laughs> internally on how many emails we have in our inbox. I mean, we're pretty <laughs> we're pretty darn efficient uh, with the uh, email efficiency. Well, Victoria over here, she's raising her hand that she has the least amount, but um, <laughs> yeah. How many do you have, Victoria? She probably averages about. Usually, I get it down to like. Two or zero. Yeah, I was going to say around. Yeah, she's she's really good. Mine's I'm probably averaged around ten in my inbox at a time. And you're you I, you took a while to get on board with all I the did, tips, and I now did. your inbox is like I have six right unbelievable. now. Unbelievable. So awesome. Well, you've got more now because we're here in studio. Yeah, but I mean, they're yeah. just, they're, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> so uh, yeah, a little shout out if you want efficiency uh, tips for uh, email, you can reach out because there's some really great ones. Nicole, what is the single most irritating technology frustration for most business professionals? This may or may not come as a shock until I actually say it out loud. But the worst thing, the thing that trips people up the most is passwords. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. The, the time spent remembering your passwords, because there's so many requirements around them. You've got to have your special character. You've got to have your numbers. You've got to have your lowercase and uppercase. And they all need to be different. And it's how... How can you manage these? So I have, you know, often when I'm working with someone, we need to spend 15, 20 minutes just getting their passwords detangled. Um, and little little tip for all of the listeners here, the best solution is to have a password strategy, like a it. password pattern strategy, mm-hmm. so that you, you know how your passwords are arranged. And then also to use a, a password manager. Like, yeah, and what's like, your pop, most popular one that you share? The most popular is LastPass. I'm, yep. I'm the most proficient in that one, but there's also Dashline and um, oh, I'm blanking on the name, Robo. Roboform. Roboform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all very good. And, and we can kind of think of them almost like banks. Remember back in the day, you yes. put all your money under the mattress and then the banks came along and they were big and scary. People are feeling kind of that way about password managers, but they're gradually moving toward them because those systems are designed to keep your password safe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's even worse in our world in the finance business because we encrypted mm-hmm. software and then we mm-hmm. have to change them all the time with yeah. the same different. We use a lot of different softwares. And uh, so we have this, I mean, it can duplicate and get very complicated pretty quick if we didn't have some type of strategy mm-hmm. or a manager. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, I could totally understand where you're coming from <laughs> on that. Um, can you tell us the difference, Nicole, of a uh, technology coach and a productivity coach? Because I'd imagine some people get confused over that. Yeah, I I am consider myself a technology coach, and I absolutely love productivity coaches. That's I what mean. I am. I'm a productivity <laughs> coach at the feet mm-hmm. of Stephen Covey mm-hmm. and and David Allen, and um, the productivity coach will share with you the strategies and secrets for mm-hmm. getting all the things done. Mm-hmm. But if your technology level, skill level, and know how makes it difficult for you to implement those strategies, then you're going to need more of a a technology coach. As a technology coach, I can help you create the folders, why we would name them the way that you'd want Mm -hmm. to name them, how you get all of those things synchronized with your phone and your tablet and your PC and and making sure that your computer is set up so that if if it fell in the lake, you'd be able to get everything hooked back up and, you know, back to work in an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
uh, a technology coach will help you learn how to do those things because whether we like it or not, we're all going to have to check our own email to a certain degree. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Manage it to a certain degree. Yeah, we can have people, but... um, Uh So, Nicole, when you're, um, uh, because I'm a local mortgage expert, that's what I do, but I also have a coaching program, and a shout-out for that. It's complimentary, onetimeyourbusiness.com. Spent a powerful eight weeks with me. It's virtual. All business professionals are invited. It's a great collaboration, uh, masterminding. So when you have your technology coach, which is you, Mm -hmm. and you have your productivity coach, which is me, what one do you do first? Would you go through a productivity program first, or would you get your technology set up and then go through the productivity uh, coaching program? That's a good question. My um, guess would probably be you first in, you know, just seeing where that's because you're going to come in and look at everything and maybe not, you know, so we'll have to take that offline because that is a good, yeah. you know, because all of the tips and things getting organized, maybe, you know, going through that and then yeah. deciding on the technology. So, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have a conversation around that. Definitely. Definitely. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's extremely synergistic. You know, yes. I, I have have clients who go through productivity coaches and, and they'll tell me, hey, my coach said I could do something with an online scheduler. Uh-huh. How would I set yes. that up? Yeah, that's the first thing I do in week one. <laughs> and so, you know, actually, what as we're talking about this, the best thing is to get into both programs mm-hmm. and, and communicate. If you have a program, like mine's really specific on each week and what the topic is. And then mm-hmm. coming back around to you as the technology coach and saying, okay, we were told we need to implement an online calendar and we need to work with landing pages. And here's yeah. the email tips. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. talk. We need to talk, that. definitely. definitely. Think about it. You're the tool and she's <laughs> mm-hmm. the person that teaches you how to use the tool. So I think productivity. Well, I teaches how to use the tool. She comes up with the tool. Well, she's the hands-on to actually facilitate everything you've <laughs> good taught. Good point. Them. There's you tools. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we're at, we're we're going to yeah, make some good partners over yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. So um, Nicole, let's talk a little bit about how the heck did you get started coaching people with technology specifically? Ah, uh, this is very dear story. Um, Back in the day, my grandmother called me and asked if I could teach her how to use this computer thing. And it was back, oh, a while ago <laughs> when my children were babies. And uh, once, a, once a week or so, for about a year, my little baby and I would go to grandma's house for lunch. And we would have lunch, and then I would uh, teach her how to use the computer. And together, we developed a beginning curriculum for how to use the computer. And that is, you know, how do you use the mouse? What is left click? What is right click? Um, how do you successfully play solitaire? Um, and <laughs> and from that, she says, hey, you're really good at this. You should do it for other people, as only a grandmother can tell you. Yeah. And so I, I reached out to some retirement communities and started teaching classes at retirement communities. Mm. And it was an excellent stay-at-home mom job. Yeah. Um, and I did that for several years, and then I also took on a few small business owners as a, as a VA. And so when I decided to launch and be, you know, a real grown-up business, um, I kind of married the two. In, because I found that, that a lot of my small business VA people, they didn't need a VA. They needed their digital yes. office in order. Yeah. And once it was in order, then... That is their, that is their VA. And that's the yeah. first thing that you need is you need to have your systems and process in place. Um, so you can bring that team in. So what about heartbreaking, um, most heartbreaking thing in your industry, uh, Nicole, what would that be? This is the hardest thing that I see because I hear it kind of after the fact. And, and someone will tell me, they'll say, oh, I have, I have this brilliant son-in-law and he helps me with all of my technology, but I'm just so dumb. 
I just don't mm. get it. He gets mm. really frustrated with me. And, and this could be the brilliant daughter. It could be the brilliant grandkid. It could be the brilliant whatever. And once we start working together, I show them, okay, well, you want this and this and this and this. And we go through a step-by-step process of how to do the thing. And they're like, oh, I'm not dumb. And, and we don't, there's no, no shame for the, the um, brilliant son-in-law. They have, you know, huge hearts and they really, really want to help. But they're, they're thinking so fast and want to just get it done. Just do it. Just finish it. And, and they, it's very, very difficult that, for them to make room for the learning. And that, that translation from technobabble to real human is something that um, I really enjoy working with and getting through. Yeah. So we're running out of time here, unfortunately, Nicole, but I would love for you to share kind of one last tip or piece of information that uh, our listeners could take as far as advice to improve their digital office. Well, my favorite tip is a super simple one, and that is whenever you get stuck doing something, whenever you've been working at it for a while and it's bubbling up and being extremely frustrating, stop, Mm -hmm. take a moment. Sometimes (laughs) just reading the error message out loud will help you. Um, If you need to reboot the computer and try again. Yeah. That often, just that reboot will solve most most problems. Yeah, such great, great advice. And if you want to connect with Nicole, hear more about her uh, technology coaching so that you can get control of your digital platform, give the show a call at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. Coming up next on The Money Hour, how do you want to be remembered? Debbie Mykoft of Memories Worth Telling right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Do your children know where their great-grandparents came from? Debbie Mycroft of Memories Worth Telling writes family history books capturing your lineage, cultural heritage, faith traditions, words of wisdom, and most treasured memories. Debbie has been a writer for over 25 years and is an expert at capturing the unique essence of each family. Hi, I'm Debbie with Memories Worth Telling. To learn more about our personalized legacy preservation gifts, Contact me by email at Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y, at MemoriesWorthTelling.com or by phone at 425-870-9181. I look forward to talking to you and remember, your memories are worth telling. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, and co-host, Keelan Harvey on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage experts, Tina Mitchell and Keelan Harvey. Welcome back to The Money on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, August 31st show. I am your host, Tina Mitchell. And I am your co-host, Keelan Harvey. Your local mortgage experts. We bring in studio each week the best of the best experts in our local market on everything regarding your money. We're here to help you in today's economy. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the amazing guests that we have on the show today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's one 855 411.50 or online at themoneyr.com. In studio for the first time, we have Debbie Mykoft of Memories Worth Telling. How do you want to be remembered? Debbie, thank you so much for joining us in studio today. Thank you for having me. 
and a little bit about Debbie. Debbie is the founder and chief word choreographer of Memories Worth Telling, a boutique writing house which she established in 2017. Writing has always been Debbie's forte, and after spending over a quarter of a century, we have a lot of longevity people here in studio today. Um, after a quarter of a century, uh, years of writing for business and corporate world, um, Mycroft launched Memories Worth Telling to serve families by preserving their leg- legacies. Debbie spent 14 years living in Hong Kong as traveled extensively internationally. With this experience, Memories Worth Telling is able to serve the global community. You know, Debbie, near and dear to my heart, especially now, I had a, mm-hmm. a, basically a grandfather-in-law that passed away in February. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, very relevant subject and gets you thinking a lot about mm-hmm. this kind of subject. So really glad to have you here and kind of discuss this. And you mentioned a legacy letter, which putting that in perspective of my current situation and how devastating that was for uh, my fiance, how cool is that? What a great idea. Uh, give us your, your feedback on why you believe everyone should write a legacy letter. Like yourself, it came somewhat from personal experience. My mother was diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. and she was given six months to live. We were very blessed and had five years with her. Uh, but in the end, when she did pass away, I just became acutely aware that going through my season of grief, it was not only grieving the loss of her, of my mother, but grieving the loss of the family history. She was truly the matriarch of our family. She knew not just the lineage, but most importantly to me, she knew the memories that really brought everyone to life. Mm -hmm. And such a short amount of time, I found myself thinking, oh, is it Uncle Bob or Uncle John that she said was the... So I I wanted to help other families to ease that grief a bit. And to preserve these family histories, which are getting lost at a very quick, quick clip. Yes, yeah. And Debbie, so when would you say would be the best time to record their legacy? Now. Yes. Just like everything, <laughs> now's the time. I have talked to... If you're to, asking yourself when, when, the question when, the answer is now. Yes. Um, I have talked to 80-year-olds who tell me that they will do it when they get old. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I have talked to young people who have told me they will do it when they get old. I do have three tips, which I think are handy. One, if if your children do not know the names of their great-grandparents, then you should start recording your history. Yeah. Two, if you've lost track of how many first cousins you have, then start recording your history. Three... If you know the Kardashian family history better than your own, oh my gosh, <laughs> then it's really time to start yeah. recording your own. <laughs> I love that. You know, my uh, grandfather took it one step farther. He wrote his entire life history. So we have mm. all these books of when he was a kid and all the way through. And I mean, I haven't mm. read all of them, but some of them. But man, is it so cool to go yeah. back and just dive into like his perspective and history. Mm-hmm. So neat. Um, mm-hmm. Debbie, what about uh, core products? Let's talk about that. Well, the core products, we've mentioned the legacy letter, Mm -hmm. which is a letter that an individual writes, and it's basically their statement of faith, how they want to be remembered, words of wisdom, their most treasured memories. And that's about an individual. The individual can also write it to a specific person. So, for instance, I've written legacy letters to both of my children, which focuses a little bit on our family history and who I am, 
but more importantly, it tells about them and why I think they are so special and the values and attributes mm -hmm. that I think are so wonderful in them. So it's a letter to them directly. So the letters are a very individual perspective. I also do legacy books, which like you say, your grandfather recorded his whole history. I think that's brilliant. I would love it if everyone did that. A lot of time though. Yes, it does time. take a lot of time, but it is so worth it because people want that. So I do the full-fledged in-depth books as well. Cool. I'm not Ancestry.com. I don't do the ge genealogy research, but whatever the family knows and preserving those memories, all of that great stuff will go into the books. So yeah. important that we had a uh, mm. we had a will, right? But that's just kind of like the here's go goes there, this goes. But mm. it was a little shocking for us to kind of put our emotions and our mindsets in place after because there's a that huge gap that you're talking about mm -hmm. that that would have filled all of our hearts if we would have known, like because it happened pretty suddenly. Mm. So there's a lot left where you're wondering, you know, uh, what would he have wanted? What you know, mm -hmm. and did we do him service in this process? Do you know, and just kind of. It's just kind of when it's done, it's done, and you're left with what's there. So to have more would have yeah. been so valuable to us. How neat. Yeah. The technical term for a legacy letter is an ethical will. I tend to stay away from that terminology because when people hear the word will, they think it's a legally binding document, but mm. it's not. And for the legacy letters, it is so important because we have a financial will. We protect our financial assets, yeah. our houses our vacation houses, mm -hmm. which you suggested, the the jewelry, the stocks, the money, whatever mm -hmm. you have. But we don't have, or it's not common to have an ethical will or the legacy letter, and that's preserving your memories, yes. your values, your cultural traditions, yeah. your heritage, those holiday stories that are told again and again mm -hmm. that are, you just make you cringe. Yeah. You wish people would stop telling that story <laughs> no those have to go in the book that's yeah. what makes the family special exactly. and unique well the legacy letters you mm. know my my dad passed in 2014 and oh my gosh if i had a letter from my dad because i mm -hmm. can hear him say how wonderful i was and how i mm. could do anything that i wanted to to be able to read those words mm -hmm. um you know would just bring me to tears and, and yeah. happiness yeah. every time what a beautiful thing that you're doing mm -hmm. so let's talk about this debbie of uh, how did you start offering and putting together this company that offers such beautiful heirlooms and gifts for for families? Well, as I mentioned, it started because of my own experience in losing my mother. But because I have a lot of experience in business, I decided I'm going to put my business brain to this. Start with market research. I yeah. started talking to people, find out what, what people really wanted. And it is very much that they want something written down. They want to have something tangible to hold mm -hmm. and to read. Yeah. And there was quite a spectrum. Some people wanted a letter. Some people wanted to preserve much more of their family history. So that's how I designed what I offer. I also do workshops to help people start writing their own legacy letters because I think it's that important that everybody does it. Yeah. And I could imagine, I mean, when when uh, my grandfather-in-law passed away, um, there's a grief that all of a sudden this life force, this energy and that we are so close to disappears. That was part of the big grief. Mm -hmm. And there's just nothing to fill that gap. Mm -hmm. I could imagine that this recording a legacy can relieve some of that grief. Is that? Yes, it does. Grief obviously is very different for every individual, but from talking to mental health professionals who deal with grief, 
there does seem to be a wide conclusion belief that when people work through it, when they when they feel the feels, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they are able to cope with it better because they're acknowledging those memories, the happy, the sad, all those emotions. And I also find that it's not just for the people that we leave it to, relieving their grief, but when I work with individuals, particularly when I'm working with seniors, it's a very therapeutic process for them because they're looking back and reflecting over their life. What have I done? What mark have I left on the world? Has my life been of value? Yeah. As we start talking about it, they can see it very clearly, the impact that they've had. Yeah. And it is a problem. I'm a, a keynote speaker and I share my story of tragedy to triumph. And until I started, you know, putting my story and writing in my book and, and taking stage, that's when I was really able to embrace and for my story to be able to help mm. not just myself, but help others. So it's so important, the work that you're doing. Let's talk about a common objection that you receive mm-hmm. um, from people that are like, you know what, I really, this is not necessary for me to have a legacy letter. Mm. What is that common objection? The two most common objections that I get are... Number one, people tell me, well, I've already told my children all the stories. Uh-huh. But let's remember, how long do you have to tell your kids to say the word please and thank you before they remember? Sure. <laughs> it takes <laughs> 18 years or more. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the other thing with that is remember when we played usually in preschool, kindergarten, the game telephone where you whisper yeah. in someone's ear a sentence yeah. and on down the line it changes. Well, imagine your own story through the generations. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to it? It might become a grandiose tale. It might become a sad tale of woe. Yes. So get it in writing for accuracy. The other common objection I get is that um, people don't feel that they're worthy or that their stories aren't interesting enough. But what I hear from people, what they want to know is the most mundane detail Mm -hmm. of their lives, what the family did on a Saturday morning. And I hear that, too, when I listen to speeches like a valedictorian speech or an Olympian who's just won a medal. When they're talking about their mentors, they're thanking them for the basic stuff, driving them to practice. And they're Mm -hmm. remembering their parents, their coaches. They're not wanting to know or thank war heroes or Nobel Peace Prize winners. What your children, what your relations want to know is about you Mm -hmm. and your life. That's what's important to them. So true. Do you have a, Debbie, do you have a set list of questions that you ask during family interviews when you're talking with families about kind of the legacy planning and all that? I do not. It is a very free flow style that I do because every family is so unique. I do have a system that I use. So when we first start working on a book, we develop a, what I call cast of characters. It's more in depth than just the family tree chart because more than your family has had impact on your life. So Mm -hmm. I wanna know your boss, your best friends, because those are the names that are gonna come up frequently and that's what I need to know to write this book. And then I also approach it once I have that down doing a basic timeline of their life. And through that timeline, that's where the questions start coming in. We start filling in gaps and it's just a conversation with the families. Yeah. So as we're wrapping up our time, we have less than a minute here to end mm-hmm. the show. How much does it take how much time does this take to go through this process to write the legacy letter, legacy book? It depends how long and how much 
the family wants to put into it. A full-fledged 250-plus large-size coffee table book would take about a year to do Mm -hmm. through the interviewing of different family members and selecting photos to do a legacy letter, which those are generally around 30 pages long. Those take about a month or two. All right. Well, if you want more information and to be able to connect with Debbie, call the show at one 855 Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyr.com. And Debbie, thank you again for coming in. Look forward to having you come back and having a little more conversation around uh, legacy letter writing and books. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And this is your host, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. And this is your co-host, Keelan Harvey. We're your local mortgage experts. We'll be here same time, same place next week, right here at 1150 AM KKNW. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, and Keelan Harvey, MLO 1330075, are licensed loan originators with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, and MLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.